Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 32. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. And Dave, I think we have a pretty fun show today. There's going to be a lot for us to talk about. I think Mike Tomlin's press conference on Tuesday was interesting, to say the least, and a slew of practice squad moves for us to discuss. So, before all that, Dave, how you doing? You still still hanging with me? Oh, yeah. Uh, we have we should have a lot to t- no shortage of things to talk about today. That's for sure. Especially uh, when we get to the uh, Mike Tomlin uh, part of the uh, podcast here. Right. Let's dive on in though. Before we get to Tomlin, let's talk about some of the roster moves that Pittsburgh has made. This started on October second, so that was Monday after the Monday podcast got recorded. Pittsburgh waving wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick. He has not yet returned to the practice squad. I don't know if that's going to be the intention at some point, but Fitzpatrick was uh, in training camp, had a good camp, had a really good showing in preseason action as a gunner, as a as a coverage guy, was on the practice squad, then got called up and signed to the 53 after some of the injuries they suffered, including to Deontay Johnson. He's now been waived. Pittsburgh still has an open roster spot on their 53-man roster. Bunch of practice squad moves coming in here. Pittsburgh signing offensive tackle Obena Ize. Wide receiver Denzel Mim was a notable name. He was a top prospect out of Baylor. And releasing three players from the practice squad, those were running back Greg Bell, wide receiver Jalen Camp, and wide receiver Jacob Copeland Camp. And Copeland had been signed after the season began. So, off the top here, Dave, any reaction to those slew of roster moves? Uh, changes. <laughs> they are. <laughs> They're changes, right? Uh, look, uh, I mean, just, you know, not, not overarching here. I think the, uh, the biggest thing to watch, uh, when it comes to all this is that there is a open spot on the 53 man roster at this point. It does not appear as though that there's going to be a, uh, 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 you know, bringing back Zach Gentry from, uh, from the Bengals practice squad. Uh, so with, uh, you know, getting, you know, we'll get into all the injuries, but with it looking like Pat Firemuth going to miss, uh, the game against the Ravens and all it sets up for, uh, for hot rod, uh, hot, you know, Rodney Williams possibly, uh, being elevated, you know, from the, uh, or signed off of the, uh, practice squad. Uh, later this week and you know the thing about him though is he's not not really a traditional kind of end of the line blocking tight end I thought he did represent himself well or better than kind of I thought he would in that area uh, during during his limited preseason time but he was good on special teams remember this is a guy that I thought maybe uh, I, you know, I, what did I predict? I, I predicted Zach Gentry would be gone, but I thought uh, Rodney Williams would be the uh, the extra tight end, uh, you know, on the roster there, but uh, the, or an extra body on 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 the roster there, a fourth, I guess, tech, technically tight end overall there. Uh, so it will be interesting to see which way if they fill that fifty three man roster spot here in the coming days, or if they just 
leave that open until Saturday and do an elevation and then get into next week and then worry about filling that 53 spot you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, as far as the, you know, what did Des Fitzpatrick do to get Jensen right. uh, out of there? And, and uh, it doesn't look like at least initially he's going to circle back to the practice squad. I mean, I suppose it could happen today, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. I know he had to clear uh, waivers and all like that, but but I think that would have happened yesterday. But anyway, that's just uh, minor quote-unquote changes at this point. Uh, do they have an open spot on the practice squad right now, or are they full, like kind of losing track? I think they have an opening uh, spot because they Maybe just released they three players and signed two. So if by you know, basic rough math, I had not actually counted if they're at 16, but one on the 53, potentially one on the practice squad. They do have 15, uh, 15 in total. Okay. So maybe, maybe he, but they already have, they've got two wide receivers now in what Deuce Watts and uh, Denzel Mims, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as a third needed at, at this point. No, not necessarily, but it's important to note the, the right. spots at least open. And right. it is interesting at tight end because, you know, if, if, if it's Washington, Hayward and Williams, then, you know, you're, you're not you don't have really have your blockers right. potentially out there. I mean, Washington obviously is one, but Hayward and Williams aren't going to give you a ton there. Well, obviously, practices, you know, Wednesday practices is, you know, about underway here, right? So if, if there was an ad, ad, addition like a gentry or something like that, you know, we, we, we might learn about it during, during the show here. Sure, sure. So should note on Denzel Mims, he's the, the biggest name as part of these roster moves. He was, like I said earlier, once considered a top prospect. And in one of the recent draft classes, I forget exactly what year he came out, 2020, 2021 or so. Uh, Frisman Jackson coached him at Baylor. And so there's a connection there. There's an old video of Jackson praising Mims's talent and the potential, which was realized that Baylor NFL career has gone sideways. Uh, he was you know, subject to trade rumors for a long, long time. And I think ended up with the Lions and is now in Pittsburgh. So there was a connection there between Mims and wide receivers coach Frisman Jackson. Absolutely. All right, Dave, let's get to the injury portion. Mike Tomlin holding his Tuesday press conference. Of course, Kenny Pickett, the biggest name to... Uh, hear about and learn about and reports were already coming out before Tomlin spoke on Tuesday, but Mike Tomlin calling the knee injury to the left knee that Kenny Pickett suffered end of the third quarter on Sunday against Houston, a bone bruise scheduled to practice today. Sounds like it'll be in limited fashion. Tomlin essentially saying they're going to have him work in some capacity today, see how he feels, see how much pain there is, see how mobile he looks and then take it from there. And so I imagine there'll be some, splitting a reps between Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. Um, so overall, good news on Kenny Pickett, not ruled out for this Sunday against Baltimore. Chance to play, Pittsburgh will play it by ear. So overall, I think it's a best-case scenario from where things looked when Pickett went down on Sunday. Uh, yeah, a lot rosier for sure when it comes to uh, especially you know long-term health, the you know, r- remainder of the season kind of thing uh, there. And I think all that started to trickle out, you know, what, uh, 12 hours or so after uh, a- 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 after the game or so or, or definitely into the next day on, on Monday. That was the case there. Uh, what did you think about Mike? Uh, what direction does it feel like this is heading with him when, when you talk about what Mike Tomlin said and basically saying, you know, we're going to want uh, Kenny to be truthful or what, what was his exact quote in here? I got the transcript pulled up here. 
I'm trying to find out the truthful part. Didn't he say something about uh, wanting Kenny to be truthful with him? Yeah, I think at the end of the presser, there was some comment about it. I forget the exact quote. I'm sure you can find it here in a second, but they're just going to communicate. And our doctor, Melanie Friedlander, wrote about this this morning and essentially saying the bone bruise is more of a pain tolerance issue than it is a risk of re-injury and anything of that effect. So it's really about how well can you manage and tolerate the pain against a, a tough Ravens defense. Do you think, uh, what percentage do you think he needs to be at to, uh, to get the, uh, go ahead here? And do you think that decision needs to be made on today, Wednesday? In terms of percentage, that, that's hard to quantify. I don't know if doctors view it as a percentage. I think it's really going to come down to a pain tolerance and, just as importantly, mobility. Can this guy move around if he's not, he doesn't feel like he can scramble and and run without a lot of pain or not able to run because it hurts too bad. That's probably where you sit there and say selfish, selfish is the, that's why I couldn't find it. He used the word selfish, but I'll ask him not to be selfish. I want to get an exposure to where he is without robbing the other guys, potentially a preparation. And then as we get into it, his functionality, the quality of his play, how he feels will be determinant factor, not only tomorrow, meaning Wednesday, but how we proceed through the week. Okay, carry on. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. Yeah, this is going to be a splitting a rep today. I mean, limited in my head, and it can mean different things. It just means you're not you're participating to some degree, but not getting all your normal complement of reps. But to me, that basically means you're working in more individual drills and not working as much in team full. It's basically meaning you're working in team and individual uh, section. So we'll just have to see with the report, but I'm guessing he's going to come in as limited uh, today. But in terms of you know whether or not he should play or could play, I think it really comes down to to how well he feels you know, from a pain tolerance standpoint and how mobile he is. And if he's not able to run and really uh, scramble without you know a severe issue, then that's probably where you you hold him off until week seven. If you had to guess right now, right this moment, does he play Sunday? If I had to guess right this moment, I think he does. Okay, I'm leaning the other way, but uh, it, obviously we don't have anything to go on other what other than you know the bone bruise report. Dr. Mel's great report up there today on it, and and what Tomlin said uh, 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 on Tuesday there. Do you want to get into the weeds here real quick? Oh Dave? yeah, because <laughs> there was I was going to bring this up, but you beat me to it last night in our in our group chat. Did, did you get through the rest of the injuries there? I, I did not. Let, let me do that first. Um, yeah, other injuries. Dan Moore, our left tackle, Dan Moore is out this week with a right knee injury per Mike Tomlin. I believe Jerry Dulac is hinting it could be longer than one missed game, even through the bye week. But so Broderick Jones will get his first career start at left tackle. Pat Frymuth is, quote, very doubtful with the hamstring injury. Don't expect him back until after the bye at the earliest for him. Um, James Daniels improving. Tomlin seemed optimistic there. Said they'll give Harvin, Presley Harvin III, the punter, a look at the end of the week. It didn't sound super encouraging, but the door is at least open for him uh, to play. And am I missing any other super notable name here, Dave? Uh, I mean, Leal is in yeah, concussion DeMar protocol. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, I love you. You had a, a comment last night, and I was going to earnestly bring this up today. And I know it's very much in the weeds, and it doesn't mean much in the context of, of right here, right now, but. There is a bit of politicking when it comes to, I think, the quarterback position. And hypothetically, and I, I say all this because you're asking about you know, who do I think is going to play when you, you made the point, 
what if Mitch Trubisky were to start against the Ravens on Sunday and play well and produce and the Steelers win, or even if they lose and Trubisky plays well, given the fact that Kenny Pickett has struggled, it's going to increase the pressure and the heat and any sort of controversy about who should be this team's quarterback. And I wonder if Pittsburgh feels that a bit. I wonder if Kenny Pickett feels that a bit. And will that kind of push them towards trying to go with Pickett for this game? Well, first and foremost, as soon as I spit that out in our in our in our chat, uh, I thought, man, you know, we how how are we going to approach this during the show, especially when a lot of times we get a lot of emails with with hypotheticals, right? And mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's hard because it's it, overall you don't like to deal with a lot of hypotheticals because uh, c- they could be endless at, 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 you know, at, uh, you know, throughout a season. Oh, well, what if this, what if that happens? What, what if that? So, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of going back on kind of what we'd like to do, I guess, overall. So apologies up front for that, but uh, it, it is an interesting thing that did a hypothetical that did enter my head. What if, what if Trubisky has to play and start, you know, what if they have, However, you want to frame it, their best offensive performance of the year, which really wouldn't be hard <laughs> hard to do at this point. And let's say you win and you score, you know, you have I don't know uh, two or three offensive touchdowns in this game, and and just generally, and what it would look like, you know, once again, you're dealing with a low bar here. Uh, what if it looks better? I, I, I've thought about it, and and and. E- no matter how it looks, I still think that you go back to Pickett. Sure, I, I, don't... I, I think they, I think they do. It's not mm-hmm. a day. It's not a day decision. It's a what do I think that 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 they will do? I think they would go back to Pickett, but then I think it gives them some leeway at that point of saying, "All right, look, we 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 you know." We we've got to we got to do something here just to save the immediate now. I don't think to me it's a it's an issue of would they or wouldn't they turn back to pick it. I think they would, regardless of what Trubisky does, should he start against Baltimore. But I think it's just you're you recognize that there's gonna be a controversy and as much as Mike Tomlin loves to say we tune out the noise, something like that does not get tuned out. You get asked about it, becomes the headline. For all the, the the shows and all the radio shows, all the national media stuff, hey, Trubisky played well, Pickett a struggle, Pickett the future, should Trubisky be the guy? That is just reality. So in some sense, we're talking hypothetical, but we understand if Trubisky were to start and play well, that's the storyline that would get created. And right. I'm not saying, obviously, that Pittsburgh is going to jeopardize Kenny Pickett's health by playing him when he shouldn't play. Again, does not appear to be something where Pickett can get you know seriously hurt or re-injure something. It's really more of a pain tolerance issue than anything else. But I just, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, that is a a thought and a potential calculation into who our starting quarterback for this weekend should be. And again, it's not because I think Pittsburgh would, you know, where Pickett would get Wally pipped by Trubisky, but it would just create that controversy because Pickett has not played well. And you can see where that storyline goes if Trubisky has success. Right. So that plays into me asking you who 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 do you think will wind up uh, starting on Sunday, and that plays into because you don't want them to to run the risk of creating such an. Now look, if he's injured and he can't play, he can't play. 
you know, sure, uh, but if he's 80, 85% and, you know, can protect himself and have some, some level of, 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 of mobility, you don't, you know, oh, well, he's not, a, in other words, the decision won't come down to, well, he's only, you know, 85%. Let, let's put, if they can roll picket out there, your view is they'll roll him out there. Right. And it's not even 100 percent that the team has this thought about that, that narrative potentially. But again, whether or not he wants to admit it, Pickett has to understand that, too. And he's probably going to want to Hey, he's a super competitor. You know, Kenny Pickett is. And so he wants to be out there if he possibly can be. And he probably, you know, consciously or not understands that calculation of if I don't play well, play well, my backup plays well as as good of a relationship as he has with, with Mitch Trubisky. Um, you know, he knows that that narrative's going to going to go that way. So I think he's going to do everything he can to get ready for this game. And and look, Trubisky, I mean, the, you know, you got enough film on him. You know what he is and isn't at this point. So even if, you know, uh, what, I, what I'm getting at, there's not going to be this, you wouldn't expect this to, to be this, oh, wow, look, you know, an, a long-term resurgence above the mean type type of thing moving forward with him. No, but if he plays well against Baltimore, that will become the storyline that will sit for throughout the entire bye week, too. I mean, you're going to have that storyline sure. running for two weeks in in Pittsburgh. Sure, that's true. Especially so, with the bye, that's important. Yeah, that that yeah. that is that is something to consider there. It's going to hang in the air. So all of that is to say, I mean, we'll see what happens. Again, I don't think I don't think Pittsburgh even knows for sure who they're going to start this moment. I think they're going to Wednesday is going to be an important day to see how. Pickett looks and moves and feels and Thursday morning will be important about, you know, how much pain are you in? How stiff is that knee? All those types of things. But all of that is to say why I think Pickett goes primarily because it seems to be more of a pain tolerance thing. I think Pickett is a a big time competitor. And then a smaller element is that just everyone recognizing the narrative of what would happen if Trubisky does play well against Baltimore. Not if it's a huge, not, not that it's an overly huge factor here, but at this point, if you're Baltimore, you've got to prepare for both guys. You do. Uh, the benefit for them is they saw Trubisky last year and had success against him. He threw three picks and a couple of ugly ones to Roquan Smith over the middle. So, you know, at least they're, they're familiar with both guys. They've started against both guys or both guys have started against them last season. And that's going to be helpful for, for, uh, for Baltimore. All right. All right. So, I think we're into the uh, the bulk of the Mike Tomlin press conference, and you know, let me let me make this clear up front. And I've said this before, and is it's going to be your, true. Is this your opening statement? This is my opening <laughs> statement. Yeah, yeah, Your Honor. And this is going to be true for Matt Canada whenever he speaks tomorrow on Thursday. Your goal is to not win the press conference. Your goal is to win on Sundays. You can have the best press conferences in the world and give just the most amazing answers to make everybody weep with how amazing the answer is. And if you don't get the job done on game day, everyone still hates you. It calls for your job. You get fired. If you have the worst press conferences ever and you go out there and win on Sunday game day, everybody loves you. You know, Bill Belichick will give you the worst answers for our entire press conference unless it's about like Navy in 1940 or Taylor Swift. But he wins on game day, or at least he has in the past, and everybody loves him for it. It, it becomes a quirk. So point is, the press conference, whether you look great in it or not, doesn't really matter ultimately. But I thought Mike Tomlin had one of the rougher, maybe one of the roughest press conferences I've heard him had or have in, in quite some time on Tuesday. Yeah, I would agree. I it just, the, the, the more this went on uh, with him, uh, the more I cringed at certain things that he had to say, and we'll get in, we'll start breaking that down here in just a moment here. First and foremost, man, his opening statement was, 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 
very long, wasn't it? Almost like he's filibustering to try to, but it ended up being like 32 minutes, didn't it? Uh, what was, mm-hmm. the, what was the, so, it, you know, if he's trying to filibuster to think that, okay, because my press conferences are normally, what are they? 22, 23 minutes, uh, uh, generally, I mean, he's, it's still, it ended up, the media still got in, you know, their amount of questions overall. And it just felt like he got into more of a rambling type situation, uh, in, 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 in the opening there overall, but I just, the overall flow and, and some of the answers that he gave, uh, within this thing. And we could start getting into those. It, it, it was very cringe overall. And, and I would agree. And look, I I don't sit here and try to rank Mike Tomlin press conferences. They overall, we don't, you don't get a lot of takeaways from them on purpose on his end. And we all know how, you know, he's not very forthcoming with the local media media, his, his best, his best interviews and his best, you know, uh, uh, talks are usually done with, with national media guys or, or on the Ryan Clark podcast and, 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 and those kind of things where you get to see, uh, more, I guess, insight, if you will, overall, but, uh, uh, to grade this on a one, one to 10 for him, mm-hmm. uh, it was a one <laughs> in my yeah, just, book, just for a guy that normally is very confident and very strong in these moments and has a great Front. He just felt a little shaky, a little uncertain, a little un Mike Tomlin like. And so that's just the general vibe that I got. And I think most people got listening to that on Tuesday. All right, let's get into uh, anything in the opening that stuck out uh, to you. Uh, because it, you, you want to talk about a long opening statement. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he had it, you know. Uh, there Was there anything that stuck out in that? No, I mean, like you said, it was a very long opener and probably even a longer discussion on Baltimore than what he typically does for the opponents. So it felt like 10 minutes of that 32 minute presser was just him talking in the open. I think obviously when you talk about his press conferences, two main answers he gave that that we're talking about the most, you know, in Pittsburgh media circles. The first one, you know, whenever coming off the lost Sunday asked about changes and he says, hell yeah. There's going to be some changes. And then he elaborates Tuesday on those changes, knowing you're, of course, you're going to get asked about that and essentially boiling down to a not being physical enough. And so they're going to be in pads for Wednesday. And I don't know how much more during the week they'll be in pads, probably less so as you get closer to game day, but they're going to be in pads for at least today. The physicality was not enough in Tomlin's mind. And then he did not go into details, but just talked about some schematic adjustments and some matchups, things they're going to you know tweak and, these obviously weren't the big sweeping changes that people thought that Tomlin was going to say. And maybe that was wrong for them to think that I I didn't expect him to sit there and say, Matt Canada has been fired and we're benching these five people and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe there's some more grace to be given here because there is the aspect of, you know, what exactly do you want the guy to say? But obviously when you sit there Sunday and say, hell yeah, we're making changes. And then today it's, well, we got to be in pads for practice. It's, it was a little, Little, little meek, little, uh, I don't know how you want to say it. They're a little meager. Uh, first and foremost, for everybody, uh, listening right now, you walking your dog right now, you, you in your truck right now, uh, you on the lawnmower right now. Uh, I want all of you listening right now and I'm watching, uh, to raise your hand if you thought that there was going to be a, an announcement on Tuesday that Matt Canada was fired. I'm watching. <laughs> 
I'm watching all of you uh, right like, now. Like the Steelers Santa Claus. <laughs> like, uh, no. Right. Uh, I mean, if any of you raised your hand, honestly, thinking that that one of these changes was 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 Matt Canada, uh, you know, being terminated or, or the play calling being taken or, or, you know, anything related to that. Uh, I mean, shame, shame on shame on you. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and, and look, th- this team doesn't have a, his, a history of, 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 of that kind of stuff and all like that. How, uh, however, comma, uh, you know, the way he seen hell. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's going to be right. changes. And then, uh, you know, for him to come out and say, well, you know, the f- physicality component and, and, uh, almost adding in some excuses talking about, well, you know, we had a couple of short weeks there, you know, that's very untomlin like to, to it, it's usually such as life in the NFL, you know, which I, I think he kind of added that in there, but uh, he kind of pointed to, well, we weren't physical enough and because we weren't in pads and that's probably the reason why. And now because of that, uh, you know, I was talking about the, uh, you know, the changes I was talking about, that obviously you guys didn't see was the physicality component or the lack thereof. And it didn't take long for me to realize that practice attire early in the year. Uh, but you know, some of it, and then he, you know, kind of, it was a short, short sentence and all like that. And then he tried to save himself by saying, we're open to doing whatever is required, uh, to highlight the skill sets of people based on what we have seen, uh, to this point in the journey there. Yeah. That, that just kind of felt weak overall and remind me, didn't they weren't, uh, uh, as the Titanic was sinking, didn't they, uh, talk about, you know, changing attire because they, they, they were willing to go down like men, you know, the heck of an uh, analogy. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I just thought that was weak and, and, and that's obviously a talking point today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My issue is less about the specificity of the answer, because again, I don't expect Tomlin to sit there and have a, a laser pointer and PowerPoint slide about these are the exact changes we're going to make. And we're going to tell Baltimore exactly what, what we're going to do. And ultimately we're going to see what happens Sunday, you and I, and I think a lot of people will be able to see the changes or if there are changes or not in terms of what looks different. And that'll be the ultimate judge of how true Tomlin was when he talked about some of those changes. I think the critique is really just, when you sit there Sunday off the game and to be fair to him, emotions are running high and you're kind of in the moment. But when you sit there and go, yeah, man, we're making changes. And this is what ultimately the changes seem to be. It's, it's a little underwhelming in terms of what you seem to be promising. That's probably where I think the the critique comes from. Is this going to end up being a lie followed by the truth in this short reasoning here? You know, he talks about physicality component and the, the attire and all like that. And then in the back end, he talks about, uh, matchup related things were open to dividing the labor up more finely in an effort to better play, to put people in circumstances that are advantageous to their skill set without being too specific, which you know he's not going to give you specifics of what he's mm-hmm. thinking, and getting into game plan related things. I mean, this is a lot of word salad here, but uh, we're open to doing whatever is required to highlight the skill sets of people based on what. What we have seen to this point in the journey could that be the change in other words sure uh joey porter jr on the field more keanu benton more than 20 something snaps a game uh uh what else would 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 be a 
you know, obviously you're going to have to start Dan Moore and, and, and Darnell Washington for, for obvious reasons. Broderick here. Jones, you mean you I said mean, uh, Broderick Moore. Jones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh, uh, for, for obvious, for injury related, uh, reasons here, but it is, 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 is that the changes? That's what we'll watch for. And, and I think you're going to see some of that. We can talk about Pittsburgh's updated depth chart and a couple of uh, notable things that are different on there. So again, I think there will be some changes. I think you'll have to squint a little bit more to see them. than they're going to be the, the big obvious ones that I think people were hoping the critique again for Tomlin, in my mind at least, is just the strength of what he said Sunday compared to the wishy-washy kind of standard. We're open to changes and finally tuning things that you hear about 48 hours later. All right. So in other words, uh, to be continued as far as what those changes are. Sure. And to go to the depth chart for a moment, Keanu Benton, it sounds like he's going to get some defensive end reps. He was listed as, I believe, Second team defensive tackle, which is really the DN spot in Pittsburgh, was actually DeMarvin Leal or Keanu Benton as that first second team defensive tackle above Isaiah Latimoke. So I think we saw this some in game, which I thought maybe was partially related to, to Leal's head injury. But I think we're going to see in some base three four Keanu Benton play some right defensive end in this game. All right. And kind of fast forward ahead. He kind of he kind of indicated that we'll see more Joey Porter Jr., right? What exactly did he say about that? I don't know if he ever, what, what did he say that kind of hints at that exactly? I'll have to fast forward through, has Joey Porter earned more reps? And if not, how close is he to being a bigger factor? Very much like Broderick Jones. I think the trajectory of his, it's a lot of words out here. The trajectory right. of his practice has been really good. And I think his play reflects that. I think he's had an opportunity in recent weeks to really develop more components of his game. For example, blah, blah, blah. Pat Peterson, Wednesday off. A veteran corner, in other words, gets more reps uh, on on that day. He's been playing in one-dimensional passing circumstances. We know that. The dime, two-minute, third downs, things of that nature. Wednesdays are big days for him when we rest Pat and he gets an opportunity to work first and second down football and work the totality of the base, if you will, on the installation. And he's been doing a really good job of that in recent weeks. And so we're getting really comfortable with some of the things that we're seeing from him across all circumstances and so he's positioned himself to be more of a factor moving forward for sure okay so the end there seems to hint maybe there's something coming but it's hard to say for sure i think one thing you should do and it's pretty logical is at least move porter into nickel packages uh, he's been playing in dime right now he should at least be the the either left or right corner but i think the left corner in nickel and you might move patrick peterson inside which does take uh, Chandon uh, Sullivan off the field. And Sullivan's been fine, but you know it, he's not going to play and keep Porter on the bench. I don't think that's the, the right way to go about it. All right. Uh, all right. Beyond that section of, of the, the, the changes portion, we, we can probably move on from that, right? Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I took a little pot shot at that on Twitter whenever Tomlin said it. But again, I understand... That he's you show, you showed up on, whole... look at you, showed up on Pat McAfee uh, <laughs> yesterday. Brief moment, very brief moment there. Um, but again, my reaction to that was just when you hear the the strength of what he said Sunday versus kind of the, the coach speak of Tuesday, that's where I think the criticism is deserved. Okay, I, I would agree. 
where I personally kind of threw my hands up literally as I listened to it was whenever Tomlin, as he knew he'd be asked about, was the fourth and one play where Kenny Pickett gets hurt. It's fourth and one, late third quarter, 16 to six. Pittsburgh still can get back in this game. Shotgun, five-step drop, Pickett sack, Pickett hurt, Texan score, game essentially over. And so Tomlin was asked about that play call. And at first he gave the very much coach speak answer of it was a bad play because it didn't work. And then he added on to be transparent and talks about how they were without Pat Fryermuth, without Dan Moore, and essentially saying that's the reason why they had to throw the football in that situation. Now, I, I'm going to let you speak here because I'm, I'm talking too much. But Oh, no, go ahead. Run, run with it. <laughs> you, you had a hell of a post right after that, too. Yeah. I, I know what Tomlin means. Let me let me try to steel man his point, because what Tomlin is saying is not that Pat Frymuth is an unbelievably good blocker. And that's why we could not run the ball because we didn't have Pat. What he's saying is we couldn't go heavy personnel with multiple tight ends, you know, 12, 13 personnel because Pat Frymuth was out and we were short on tight ends. They carry three on game day. Pat is lost down to Washington. Connor Haywood. If they had any intention of going with a six offensive lineman, which they have not done in a game this year, but you had Broderick Jones at left tackle because Dan Moore went down. That was not an option. So Tomlin's point is that we could not go heavy and run the ball as you would traditionally think about in fourth and short situations. That is the point it's making. Now, I think it's a really bad point, which I'll talk about in a moment, but I just want to be clear about what I think Tomlin is saying with that answer. Look, uh, my main takeaway is you talk all the time about next man up uh, uh, situations and, you know, not not using it as excuse. Be ready when your numbers called and all like that. And, you know, it's not like you're talking about uh, Heath Miller out there as a block blocking tight end in 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 in, in Pat Firemuth. Uh, you've got two draft picks there in 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 Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington and. You're essentially saying that the next man up in those situations uh, 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 weren't weren't above the line to 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 give you the confidence to to uh, uh, to use that. So I, I think that's kind of a cop out overall to use those uh, uh, those injuries to Dan Moore Jr. and Pat Firemuth. Uh, it was a throw throw my hands up type of response for me as well too. Now get into what happened there uh, with the eleven personnel. Yeah. Now, the reason why I think that's still a really unacceptable answer is Pittsburgh did not run out of heavy personnel in this game hardly at all, even before Frymouth got hurt. I think they ran out of 12 personnel three times in this game when they were unsuccessful on two of them. And the one they were successful was a, a quarterback sneak on third and one in the first quarter. And in, in the entire third quarter during that drive, they ran the ball exclusively out of 11 and they ran it really well. And one of the snaps with Frymouth, they lost two yards. Now, it wasn't perfect. They had a couple of negative plays which I don't think were the fault of the tight ends, generally speaking. But you know, I put together the numbers. I mean, they averaged, you know, I think, 5.7 yards per carry at 11 personnel running the football in that quarter. And so, yes, you could not run out of heavy personnel. Fine. That's fair. That's accurate. Nothing stops you from running out of 11, which you've been doing the entire quarter with success. And so, to me, the, the that's why I got mad because this is – this is a team that was running out of 11, doing it success- successfully, and they did not do it in the most obvious situation to run the football. I, I agree with with all that there. Plus, also, you pointed out that uh, they, they've done some quarterback sneaks already as well, too, right? Out of 11 personnel. Yeah, they ran a, the push-push against the Raiders out of 11. So the option is not run the ball out of heavy or 
you know, pass the ball out of 11. That's that's a false choice. You can run the ball at 11, and they were literally doing that the entire quarter with a ton of success. The pass game had really no success in this game. Where they got traction was with the run game in the third quarter where Najee and Warren were ripping off big yards. There were some creative schemes up front. So you got a 240-pound first-round back, want to be the bully ball team, all the things you talk about, all the things you've done, and in that moment, you, you shy away from it. You run away from it. So that's the frustrating part. Nothing said Pittsburgh could not run out of 11. And in fact, they had been running out of 11 the entire quarter with overall great success. I agree. I think I think you, what does he think? We don't have all 22 access or have, get be able to get a TV copy of the game to, to, to figure that stuff out? Heck, we've been charting games for how long now? You know? Yeah, we're just watching it live, you know, whether, you know, whatever it was, they were running the ball well, that much was obvious, you know, had they been struggling to run the ball, then then maybe you could try to give some more grace to that. And and yeah, I mean, obviously, you lose Firemuth and, and Dan Moore, but your replacements are Darnell Washington, who was drafted to block and Broderick Jones, who's an aggressive run blocker. So even the guys that we're getting replaced with are better blockers than, you know, Darn or than Pat Firemuth. And I think Jones is probably equivalent to to Dan Moore Jr., if not better. So it's not like you didn't have people that couldn't run block in that moment. Uh, exactly. And we have an update on the tight end situation here. The Steelers have promoted tight end Rodney Williams uh, from the practice squad to the active roster. Uh, and they have signed Des Fitzpatrick and tight end Noah Gindorf uh, uh, to the practice squad there. So uh, that's an update when it comes to the practice squad. And now Rodney Williams is on the 53 and you would probably expect him to be active. I would think on Sunday against the Ravens. Yeah, that would make sense. And he should play, as you pointed out during the summer, a lot on special teams. Patrick comes back and Gindorf is one of my guys out of North Dakota state. He's a rookie, big body blocker that with a bunch of injuries. Uh, with the Bison that kind of curtailed his career. I believe he was with Seattle as an undrafted free agent, but this was, to me, maybe the, the maybe the best blocking tight end in the 2023 NFL draft, even better than, Dar- than Darnell Washington. And he's a guy that, you know, I, I mean, I know he's just getting signed here today, but could you elevate him for, for Sunday against Baltimore and, and put him out there in potentially some blocking situations because Hayward's not going to give you a ton. Williams won't give you a ton. Washington's kind of your dude right now. There's no fullback either. So something to watch there. Didn't I have him as the seventh round selection in my mock? I think you did, actually. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find my, I'll see if I can find my mock real quick here. But uh, I'm pretty sure look, you did. Uh, I mean, that, that's obviously a name that we've talked about uh, quite a bit. You know, you and I both, I think, during the pre, pre-draft process here. What did I write on him? They had him uh, in for a workout earlier this right, year, too. Right. Uh, round seven, I have, uh, uh, I understand the students re-signed, blah, blah, blah. While Gentry might be hard for you to find on tight end rankings for the media draft picks, let it be known that he was one of uh, one of just 20 tight ends uh, invited to the scouting combine combine this year unfortunately uh didn't do anything while in indianapolis due to him recovering from ankle surgery he's known for his blocking only caught 44 passes blah 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 uh he is what he is and that's a big throwback inline tight end who can block he was the best blocking tight end in the fcs when he played in my opinion so and i said sure gindroff might go undrafted when the smoke clears thanks to this year's draft uh tight end class being so deep blah 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 but uh uh Needless to say, I don't think either one of us are surprised that he is now circled this way. 
No, and uh, we'll see if he gets elevated. Obviously, just practice squad right now. But a guy I did like coming out of college, and they need some some blocking types, some inline guys, and Gendorf is one of the better you're going to find at that at that doing that. I mean, it would seem kind of quick for him to get on the practice squad on Wednesday and end up on the on the 53 on 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 Sunday, though, right? It would, but if he's here to block, you know, blocking's blocking. It's you can probably pick those schemes up relatively quickly. He'd be, you know, just for certain packages. You know, we're talking third and short, twenty-three personnel, twenty-two personnel. He, he's probably not absorbing a big portion a portion of the playbook right now. So yeah, I mean, I'm kind of stretching it here a bit, and I don't know for sure if it's going to happen, but I think there's some merit to it. All right, uh, back to uh, Tomlin and 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 talking about that fourth and one call. He'd been, I, it, it would have. I would have had a lot more respect uh, uh, for him had he just come out and said, look, you know what? It was a bad mm-hmm. play call uh, and and even compounded more by it not working. And you know what? I should have just kicked the damn field goal, uh, you know, in, in, in that situation. However, I would have. I would have struggled with them not going for it in that situation instead of just waving a white flag and kicking the field goal there because of the game circumstance and late in the third quarter, you're all, you're down. What was it? Uh, what did we say? They were down 16, 16 to, to six. six at the time uh, there. You, you had been able to run the football. Uh, now look, had they, had they lined up in, in, in heavy personnel and, and run right into the middle and not got it. People still be complaining about, about the play call and, and all like that. But uh uh, the the way he framed this as an you know as, as an excuse for for doing what they did, you know, uh, do, does not cut it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be too hyperbolic about it, but I just felt like that answer about you know not having Frymouth and and more was really kind of an insult to the intelligence of the people listening because right. the evidence of what they were doing. And, and again, I want to make it clear that. Tomlin's not saying that Frymuth is an unbelievable block. He was saying it limited the, the number of personnel groupings they could use in those moments. They couldn't go heavy. I understand that, but that does not excuse or, or or dismiss the fact that they had run out of 11 the entire quarter with success. You know, had they been a 12 personnel team and running the ball out of, out of that grouping with success throughout the quarter, then I think Tomlin's point has more merit. This one though, I think completely falls, falls flat. I agree. Anything else from Tomlin's presser that those are the answers that really dominated the landscape? I don't know what else there was. Uh, the, do you believe it's uh, capable for play calling to be split between two people in games or does logistics go into all that? What did you think about his answer on that? Which was, I think play calling oftentimes it, it rests more than just one place, but I don't think we talked about it a lot in settings such as this. Well, maybe it's time to <laughs> either my game, either by game plan or by, by design from time to time, play calling is, is a cooperative on offense and defense. A secondary coach might have a strong feeling about a third down and long and might dictate that call. An offensive line coach might have a strong feeling about short yard circumstance and dictate that call as examples. I might have a strong feeling Tomlin said about any circumstance, particularly those that are, here we are, weighty ones, weighty ones, uh, uh, a possession down in the red zone area or backed up or what have you. And so there's primary play callers. And obviously that's Matt and TA, uh, Terrell Austin. But uh, for a variety of reasons, week in and week out or circumstances, it's capable of being a collective sometimes more than others. So we have a Borg here. <laughs> a Borg? A Borg. You don't watch Star Trek, do you? No. I mean, I have a, you're saying a big collection, a big. Yeah. 
mosh pit of people making the calls here. Yeah, I mean, you know, game plans are collective and it's not just one guy that determines the whole thing. I mean, it's a pretty. But does that happen during games where you're 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 kind of polling what 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 to do here? How much does that happen during games? Or or do you think this is his response is more towards the game planning process that, hey, if we get into fourth and one uh, late in the third quarter, this is uh, the 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 offensive line coach says, I want to run this here. Mm -hmm. It's both. And I think you talk about those things in preparation and those things get communicated during the game as well. So I think you have those those, you know, brief interruptions or side comments that come in. I don't know the exact collaboration, but. Sure. I mean, I can understand that there's a it's a collaborative effort across the board, both pregame and in-game. Ultimately, it falls on Matt Canada to, to officially make the call, but he's probably receiving some input from different people throughout the game. But surely that doesn't happen in the moment in games other than Mike Tomlin getting on the headset and say, run it here, Matt. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's plausible. I don't know exactly how it works, though, because Canada's upstairs and, you know, Myers on the sidelines. So I don't know what their level of communication ability is like, to be honest. I don't know the dynamic of how that works. I don't know if it's more of a Glenn Thomas thing because pretty sure he's up in the booth right next to to Canada. Um, but I can understand that you know, there's going to be input probably leaned on from other people. That's not just Canada, but I, I think Tom's answer that was pretty broad and, you know, not specific to, to really the question. In other words, didn't want to pin it all on Matt, right? Well, I, I, I think there's probably just some layers to how, game planning and play calling works and yeah at one point you don't want to pin it all i mean the question was basically trying to say you know could somebody else do it or is somebody else calling the plays and tomlin really didn't want to address that and again i mean i i I, for that answer i think it's a little you know mealy mouth but i take tomlin at his word there's probably some layers to this thing that isn't easily answered um publicly like that without kind of giving away exactly how you how you do things all right my, my main takeaway from that is him saying okay it's not something that's generally discussed in this setting well let's let's have a setting where that is you know so maybe bob labriola will ask him about it in 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 this you know the uh, the talk that he has with him uh the night before the game and all like that where how, how is the you know in game how much of that actually happens you know yeah, I think when he says in this setting, he says, I'm not going to talk about it with the media. During, you got you to right, work during, for me to uh, to hear that. Right. That, and that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So I think that Tomlin is deliberately not really giving an answer there. Okay. Uh, let's see. Let's back up here a little bit here. When you talk about division of labor, especially with players, is any of that extended to coaches, whether that's uh, changing who's calling the plays, anything like that on offense? He says, not at this juncture, no. Is there that's in, any, it's interesting. Is that is that one, two, three, four, five words uh, worth dissecting? Sure, absolutely. I think not at this juncture because it means there's a potential juncture where it could be considered. Not this one, but a juncture down the road. So, you know, what do you do with it? Don't know, but that is, I think, notable. Would this be a, a, a possible precursor to something happening with Canada in the next couple of weeks? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen next Monday. It's going to, what is, what is Monday's date? When is the exact uh, date? Yesterday was the third. So that would be the ninth. The ninth. If, it, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen October 9th because you're going to come up with the Baltimore game, see the result of that. You know, you're going into your bye. 
you're going to make a change. That's the time to make a change. You're going to have the full buy. I know players go away, but still, at least it's going to be out there. It's going to be known. The new OC could start talking and start you know, getting a rapport, a better rapport. Pick it obviously if it's Sullivan or somebody they were already rapport there, but in the OC hat, uh, you're going to have as much time as possible. So if, 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 if there's a juncture, it is October 9th to make a decision. Okay. That's what happened last year, right? We had the same conversation right, last year right, about, right, you know, right. are they going to keep him or not? And last year, we kind of felt like, okay, there's a real good chance they're going to, because Tomlin said last year, you know, when asked at one point, does that include coaching changes? When asked about potential changes, he said yes. And we all were like, oh my goodness, he just said that out loud. And they didn't make a change, obviously, but we thought if, if it was going to occur, it was going to happen at the bye. It did not, obviously. They hit, they hit the hard reset button, got back on track. So the bye week is the week to watch. All right, so uh, for anybody uh, of our fine listeners out there hoping for any kind of Matt Canada change, I think that's your kind of uh, five-word possibility there. Sure. Um, and but, but you also wonder, though, it, you know, could they do stuff behind the scenes? Because they don't fire coaches. When was the last coach they fired in season? I, we got to do a research project on that. Well, I don't know. Was it the special teams coach? Well, that was before the season. It was in season, but it was before week one. So I'm like talking after week one begins. Well, I mean, there was the whole Ray Sherman demotion several years, many moons ago, right? Where sure, there, there's been demotions, but I'm talking firings. firings. Like Jack McNell Jr. was demoted in his one year of O-line coach, like midseason, Sean Stratton right. took over. But I'm talking like, you know, he is no longer, his key to the building no longer works kind of moves. I, I, I can't recall. I do not know. I, I it may before the year two thousand. I think. I mean, yeah, I think you got to. I think you got to. I mean, uh, I I think you have to go back even before that. Before anything, even I, I, uh, I, I don't remember any instance, even dating back to the seventies. I don't think where a, a coordinator. Are we talking coordinator or coaches or or? Right now, we, I would take any coach, but. The obviously coordinator can also be factored in. I mean, I, I can't recall any any instance. Yeah, the the closest is Al Everest in I believe it was twenty thirteen, a couple of days before the season, he got fired. Don't know why. And the name wasn't was that some over. emails or something like that. Wasn't that? No, that was the O line coach. That was zero line. I think if you're talking about the okay. explicit link that got sent around, is that what you're referring to? Uh, maybe rated link. Maybe that was it. Yeah. I don't know if we ever saw an answer on Al Everest. I don't think he ever commented on that he was even sure what happened there. But anyway, it doesn't mean it can't happen. It doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. I just would love to have that for my own personal stats of the weird. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, the thing is, once again, I don't think uh, here, here's the thing. We, we've talked about trends and all like this with this organization that it hasn't happened until it happens. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> right. Right. The whole cornerback in the first round ahead of Artie Burns, the whole uh, well, just up up recently. The last time this team took a tackle in the first round and, you know, the trends kind of thing. But I mean, I think when you're talking about uh, such a long an even longer span where, I mean, we're, 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 we're struggling to get past pre nineties. I, I think even thinking about uh, a coach getting terminated in season. Yeah. I really might take some time to research that. I don't know even where to begin with that, but if somebody knows, if somebody can even just give me a starting point about this happened in 1980, whatever, then I can kind of at least kind of work from there. But I, I just don't know when the last time it's happened. I mean, 
I don't know. We can talk about do you think it will happen or not, but probably talk about that after the Ravens game. Right. I, I think we, we we look at it. I mean, it's a it's not going to happen this week, and and that's the now. Yeah, that's all that really matters. Anything else from Tomlin? I just really focused in and just kind of take away from um, the the two comments about the changes and the fourth down call kind of really gripped me the most. As I think it did most people. Uh, the thing about uh, Kenny Pickett. Uh, what do you want to see? The only really truthful thing to come, the only the only kind of confirmation of anything worth of anything probably to come out of this uh, 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 press conference was him being asked about uh, what do you want to see better from Kenny Pickett? He says, I want to see him make fluid decisions, particularly at the early stages in games. He says, you know, I think it play it, as plays get extended, particularly early in games, it increases the potential for offensive negativity and defensive positivity. And so I think a component of us getting off to more fluid starts, uh, there's more fluid decision-making and things happening more on uh, rhythm. And so I think that'll be the focus for him and for us, because it's not just him. We got to be assignment perfect blah 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 you know receivers got to do their thing to win the uh individual one-on-one matchups uh look that's something that we 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 talked about coming out of this last game right was the decision making process with him yeah i don't think you know tomlin's given that answer a couple times and probably nothing else to really say want to be a good decision maker get off to some better starts um take care of the football all things that are central to not just him but really any quarterback Right. So, I mean, uh, that was probably the only truthful aspect of, of, you know, kind of things you are, or at least you know, we, we kind of knew about Kenny Pickett that, that, that Mike Tomlin confirmed mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of anything else. We talked about Benton playing, you know, well, and I think he's somebody that deserves more time. A lot of milk seems to be, you know, on the outs. He may dress this week if Leal, you know, just isn't out of protocol. Do you, do you dress for Hoko? I think you got to take a look at that at some point here, Dave. Yeah, and we discussed that. They change, you know, any any lineup changes that would be regarded as kind of you know significant. I, I think that's one of them you know, there that that they could do. Were the Texans in pads prior to the Steelers game? Someone uh, uh, back from the PPG, uh, uh, PPG, I think had something at least on what was it Wednesday or something like that. One of their days. Yeah, I don't know if they were. I assume they probably weren't closer. To, to the end of the week where teams typically aren't. I wonder if they were Tuesday, but that would be kind of funny if the Texans weren't in pads and the Steelers obviously weren't in pads and the Texans still, you know, kicked their butt. So kind of hollows out Tomlin's point. Uh, let's see here. One other thing here, I think, uh, or maybe, oh, talked about Broderick Jones and how he thinks it's reasonable to expect him to be really solid with a week's of, week, week, week worth of prep. How did you think to kind of transition into the all 22 aspect of it? How did you think Broderick Jones did in his first extensive NFL action? Not great, Bob. Yeah, I didn't think so either. Um, but I think Tomlin has a point. When you know you're the guy, you can probably better prepare. You can better focus in on the guys you're going to see on that side. It's going to help. So, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to can improve. Obviously, I think he will improve, but I, I thought his hand use, his technique was was really poor in this game. I expect him to, I, I'm with Tomlin. I, you know, now, uh, really, uh, what was the exact word he, word he used here? Uh, really solid with the week's prep. I'm, 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 I'm not going to go that far expecting him to be really solid, but I do, I would expect it to be an improvement of what he put on tape the other day. Sure. And just natural experience, you know, getting better. Those were his first, you know, long-term reps. I think run blocking was, was decent. I should give him credit there. Uh, pass pro I thought was really shaky. 
Right. All right. What else from the all 22, Dave? Let's start with the offense. Where to begin with, with this whole thing? What are your thoughts? Uh, decision. I, I think that plays into your video that you have up 28 minutes worth of, 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 of Kenny Pickett into decision. This is so multi-layered with, with yeah. the offense. And, and I think that's, kind of the the point the, depending on how people want this thing painted to fit their own thoughts on this they'll, they'll probably take that video certain ways oh alex is just banging on kenny pickett here but i think you did a good good uh, uh job of laying out there that this is multi-layered what's going on with this offense right now and and uh kenny pickett's not ripping it uh, on on some of these instances where he should uh there is the whole uh uh schematics aspect and play calling aspect of it which falls on canada and then there's the whole i think technique and uh uh, execution on, 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 on the part of the offensive line. So, uh, there is enough wrong with this offense, not just on the tape against the Texans, but through, 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 through four games here, that it's, it's not just one thing, but all these things in general are compounding it even more to be what you see through four weeks here. Sure. This thing is layered. I think depended on any one person, any one unit is an error. Um, this is going to be pretty catch-all and not earth-shattering news. And sorry if it's beeping going off because I have my Discord up here because uh, I, I, I jotted some notes down last night about just kind of the four big reasons, the four buckets of why this offense has been so poor. And I'll just read them off to you here. Uh, middling run game, not able to control games, keep this team out of third and long. They can't do that. Quarterback play that has been poor. An OC not elevating anyone with a sound and good scheme and a disappointing O-line, especially in pass protection. So those are kind of the four things. And again, that's very broad and, and I think pretty obvious, but uh, a run game that has not been good, a quarterback play that has been poor, an OC not making anyone better, and an O-line that's not you know anywhere close to dominant. You know, some of their better run plays in this game were the, were the guards on the move, right? Say a motto, right? Yeah, they they pulled some guards. The they had some interesting run schemes in this one. They ran crunch th- at least three times and kind of some variation of it twice to success. Um, my thought, and I've been trying to kick around this idea of exactly how to frame it and articulate it, and I'm probably not all the way there yet. I'm like a comedian working on his new set that's probably not ready for the actual special. But Oval I th- team. <laughs> Is that those <laughs> are my jokes? What's the deal with Elvatine? What's the deal? Thinking- uh, go ahead. I was thinking more Carlin level jokes uh, than uh than 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 uh Overteen. Seinfeld. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm kind of that Seinfeld dry humor. That's probably a fair assessment. But I think Pittsburgh, and we can have probably a really good discussion that would take two hours, and people probably get really bored of it. But I I think Pittsburgh is really bad at blackjack. And what I say that what I mean is, the goal in blackjack is not to just get to twenty one. The goal is to get to beat the dealer, but also get as close to 21 without going over. When you're at 18, you probably stay and you probably don't you know, get another car because the risk of going over. And when I say that, I mean, Pittsburgh loves to try to go back to plays that work or they think are going to work. They think they got the right look and defenses adjust. And there is a really good discussion about where do you walk that line between, okay, this play just works. Should we go back to it or do we not go back to it because we think defenses are going to re- recognize it and adjust to it. And where is that line? 
it, it is, in all fairness, really probably hard to figure out. But I think there were just so many times where Pittsburgh was going back to stuff and presenting it in the exact same way and defenses adjusted and picked up and counterpunched really well. And I think it's been a real recurring problem for this offense throughout the last couple couple of years, especially the last two years. You know, and over the years when, when I've done tape study, normally you see things that work for one either one team uh, or against another team's defense. You see that kind of sp- spread out over like four weeks, right? Right. It's not done so rapid fire the way that it's done right now. Right. Now it seems like, well, that worked. Let's go back to it. And and, and this isn't a situation of several years ago with, and it was funny to hear Ben talk about it. And uh, we've talked several times about the, the, the game against uh, uh, the Bengals several years ago where you're, where you're running a power and it's working and you just keep running a power. And uh, who was it? Levy? Was it Levy? Yeah, it was the Castro leading bell. Right, but uh, who who was it that, that came out and said, "Well, Ben, ben didn't give a hell what Todd Haley was calling." Oh, we're, that was Bell. Yeah, we're we're running it again and all like that. I don't care who called it, but there are there are certain. I, I'm a firm believer in man if if it's working like that, especially in late games, especially in that particular situation where man, this team just can't stop the power. You know, run mm-hmm. it, run it. I am a fan of running it until they stop it, especially sure. when it comes comes to the run game specifically uh, there. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, and and, and ha, ha, you know th- this plays back into my uh, seventy yard or bust uh, uh, offense that th- that that they seem to be running uh, right now. Uh, and yeah, I understand. And and this is something else. I understand they're trying to change this up a little bit. You know, run it different directions, flip the formation, uh, maybe have the alignment a little bit different. But it's still it you when you have when you have a guy like you know uh, uh, Austin specifically running that you know uh, running that deep post. I mean, it, it's easy to pick up on on what that's going to be. And Stephen Nelson said as much. You know, those guys study film as well too, and especially when you run it three times in your first three games, it's not hard, like you said, to guess what 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 they're going to do there. Mm-hmm. Well, they run it more than three times. They run right. it literally a dozen times. And the crazy thing is, and I had this in the video that I did, it's up on, on the site this morning, is after the Nelson pick, I don't know, like a, a couple plays later, they ran the same play. <laughs> they ran the same play. They ran the same exact uh, shallow cross with the post over the top. And I thought pick it was pretty quick to check it down, but... Why are you going back to that play? It, you know, it was also the same exact, you know, down distance situation as the Austin touchdown. And so defenses are going to recognize that and, and take that stuff away. So why are you going back to this play that you just got picked on and that you probably run way too much and you call it again, basically the next opportunity that you can call it again. That's no confidence in the rest yeah. of what you have. I guess. I mean, or, or is it where well, your playbook is that limited or yeah, is it, do you feel like this is the only play that we can execute? Um, it's not just pass game either. I don't want to just pick on that. I think there's some run game stuff too, where I think the run game had more success. But again, this is in the video. It's easier to to watch it than me try to explain it in an audio format. But third quarter, where they again they had success running the football overall, but they're at a pistol. They uh, have a, a two receiver stack to the bottom, one to the top. They motion Allen Robinson down for an insert block. They run it in the red zone. They get a couple yards. And then well, about, that, that that got picked up because they 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 shifted uh, what's his uh, the safety yep. uh, uh, Petrie as more kind of a sniffer in that and he blew the whole damn thing up. Yeah, that would that was they that was my 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 point. Yeah, they they went back to the same play in the same quarter, literally probably ten plays later, same exact 
pistol, two receivers stacked at the bottom, same insert block. And you can see the linebacker call it out to the safety and, and push him down to go around the block as opposed to meeting the receiver in the hole. They blow it up. Warren fumbles, turns into second 18, leads to that fourth and one. So that's some of the stuff I talk about where you're doing that, this presenting it the same exact way. And defenses, of course, are going to adjust. You know, they ran crunch to success to their credit you know, two times. Then they ran it a third time at the same exact guy, number 93. And he picked up on it, blew it up, and even wagged his finger at the Steelers bench right. saying, you got me twice, you're not going to get me again. So, again, where is that line between it's been working, let's keep running it, versus they're going to eventually pick it up and adjust? That's where I think you start changing formations and you start changing um, alignments and you add different wrinkles to it to try to run the same concept that's dressed up a little bit differently. I think that's where you elevate uh, you know, coordinators in, in your scheme. And Pittsburgh does not do that the way that, that other teams do. Building off of things, right? Whether you have success, yeah. Adam, or not, the ability to build off of things. Yeah, they just... Defenses are too smart. They put in too much work. These guys have played too much football to know what you're doing and to pick up on things. And you might get them once, but you probably won't get them twice. And when you think that you can, you're probably wrong. Right. So... That that's my issue overall is that I'm just seeing this team. I don't know. Again, it's complicated, and we can have a great discussion about you know where is that line and a million other factors to go into it and stuff. I probably don't even know. We don't recognize, but that's where I get really frustrated watching the tape. And then you know, you just fa- you fast forward to that uh, that 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 drive into in in the third quarter. There, you're you're running the ball well, and then you try to get too cute, move away from what you're doing well. Yeah, I think there is certainly an element of this team getting a little too cute and. I don't know. It's I, I can't explain. I, I still can't explain that fourth down call. I don't know if they still win that game. Obviously, what happens at that point there, and 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 uh, it didn't take a rocket scientist to to figure out which way Tyler Wise was going to go with that turning mm-hmm. point. I don't think. I mean, a lot of times uh, he'll he'll surprise us and and actually make a good point on what could be a turning point of the game there, but. Uh, without a doubt, you know, as we talked about, it was 16 to six at the time. I mean, if you pick that up in that fourth down situation, uh, maybe you go down and, and, and get a touchdown at worst, you know, you probably come away with a chip shot field goal in that situation there, uh, there. And, you know, you obviously the, the defense didn't do their part, you know, uh, after that point, regardless there, but it, it the whole air came out of the balloon when you didn't get that fourth down play there. And Patrick Peterson said as much. He called that the turning point. He said that was a moment where the Texans recaptured their momentum, which they did because Pittsburgh was winning the third quarter, the whole third quarter up until that point, getting stops on defense. They weren't converting touchdowns, but they were you know, kicking field goals. They were controlling time of possession, and, and it all turned around on that play. And my last point on that fourth and one, they called that earlier in the game. And not just, not just called it earlier in the game, the same exact formation, same exact concept, same exact read. They called it on second and sixteen. And they got eight yards out of it, which is fine. But why they why are your play calls that are used for second and 16 the same play calls that you call right. on fourth and one? Like whenever you have, and I'm not an OC, and again, I'm I'm just trying to do the best I can with the tools that I have. But you know, when you're a play call, you have play sheets, you know, you they're, they're broken down into down distance situational football. Field so second position. and long field position, yeah, third and short, red zone fringe, that kind of stuff. How is the same play call that's in your second and 11 plus menu the same thing that's in your fourth and one menu? Please explain that to me, Dave. I can't, especially in weighty down situations and down distance situations like that. Yeah, I I thought on Ben's podcast, he made a really good point that usually in those moments, you know, fourth and one, you know, 
two-point conversion, that kind of stuff. You you have a two or three plays that like these are designed just for those moments. We're designed to get a yard. We're designed to get two yards in a two-point conversion situation. It's kind of see what's why you see some more trickery in two-point plays, some of the you know, receiver throw to the quarterback, that kind of stuff, because they're tailored for those moments. And there was nothing they just they ran a regular play, like it was third and seven. And that is to me the most befuddling part. And we can talk about that play. How much how much blame do you give Kenny Pickett on that play, Dave? Some. Okay. And, and, and that's fair. I'm not leading you to, to, to an answer here. I just I want to get your honest perspective on that. It's 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 not an ideal situation though to put him in to win. I agree. I think that's the main point. That's there were the some main, that's the main yeah. takeaway there, especially the way how he's been playing uh and 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 talking about how they were you know, there, there wasn't a, a lot of bright spots where when it came to the running game, but they had been running well uh, at, at that point. Najee, Najee was given it, you know, it, it, it all. There were a lot better situations to put your quarterback in than that kind of read. Right. I know a lot of people have talked about, and again, it's a little hard to, to talk through it, audio version without the video uh, for those listening, but everyone talks about the backside dig on that play to Calvin Austin that I think, you could make that throw. That's probably open. But why on fourth and one are you banking on, you know, the fourth read of that play, right. the backside dig being the answer? That's not putting your guys in position to succeed. Yeah, could you have thrown it? A better quarterback probably stands in the pocket, makes that play, they convert. But if that's your that's your plan on fourth and one, man, you need a new plan. Right. You're not you're not putting you know, you're not putting them in a good situation there. Yeah, so again, there's a lot. There's a lot going on on that play. I also think Pittsburgh thought they were going to get a different coverage because when they ran that earlier, they got cover three and it was kind of an easy throw on the speed out to, uh, to Robinson. They got cover two on that fourth and one. Again, that's defense is adjusting, playing different coverages in different situations. I think Pittsburgh being a step behind. All right. Uh, other thoughts on the offense? I think uh, ten ten more negative plays in this one when you count interceptions, penalties, negative yardage. That's still way too high. Ten out of what fifty? What was it? Fifty two uh, plays. I mean, just cut out the damn negative plays down, like we said, to three or four. And you know, you know, there's so many wasted plays. You know. Yeah, there's still too much negativity for an offense that cannot afford to have any. Negativity. That is certainly and, and to be fair on that fourth and one, you get the, the fumble, you know, you're driving second and 18. It really backs you up. Uh, we can talk about how George Pickens probably should have kept going more forward on that third down play before the fourth down play. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of things that you know lead you to those fourth down situations. Right. You 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 don't have the offense to make those, those little little yeah. errors like that. Right. The Chiefs, they made a bunch of errors in that Jets game, but they're so talented and they can win out in the long term. They can afford not that you want to, but you can afford to make those mistakes. Pittsburgh has no margin for error, and there's a lot of error. There were some running game bright spots, but but obviously not enough of them. Yeah, again, I think that was a lot of their kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, specialty scheme of crunch and whatever that guard pull was. I don't you know. I think Baldy called it a triple scoop. It was a really interesting. It was, it was like wham block. It was kind of like crunch. It was similar, but right. um, I, I thought that was, it was innovative, and I think overall it, it worked, but Pittsburgh probably running it. You know, when they ran that crunch that third time, run into a different guy. You can't run into the same guy three times. He's eventually going to figure it out, man. Right. He's an NFL player, you know? So if you want to you know, run it. Switch sides or something. Switch sides. And when they rotate and he's not in the game, then, then you can do it a third time. I think that's fine. But, you know, 
anyway, I, I think everyone gets my point there. All right. Anything else under uh, 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 on offense? Well, the O line, you know, I think did say Maul agreed out the best. I think, I think he did rated him the best, and yeah, I thought overall he was probably the best offensive lineman. I thought Herbig struggled at right guard. I thought stunt pickup across the board was really bad. I thought Herbig looked uncomfortable. Um, Broderick Jones, the technique needs work. Mason Cole again, underwhelming. Uh, when you look at the grades overall, you're you're trying to pick the best of uh, because none of them really. I mean, you talk about which one graded out best. But when you look at them in 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 totality, uh, when it comes to those grades, let's see here. Uh, say Amalo, I guess, was head and shoulders of uh, uh, the best, seventy five point eight. But then you move down to you're in the sixties with Mason Cole, uh, Chikoma Korfor, sixty two point eight. Uh, you get into Dan Moore, fifty six point one for only the eight snaps that he uh, played. Broderick Jones, fifty three, and then Nate Herbig, forty six point four. So uh, I was interested to see how Nate Herbig would would perform in this this game and it 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 wasn't great yeah um they they just they you know they they couldn't handle twists that they knew were coming you know yeah and i they had to have known it was coming and and yeah it's probably easier said than done um playing on the road and all that kind of stuff but they really did did a poor job all right defense uh main takeaways on that boy that uh forgot how painful it was that that drive of uh houston's right before the end of the half where they started on their own own in and, and took like what four plays which included a couple of spikes to just march down in the field goal range you know uh mm-hmm. that was very concerning a lot of missed tackles within that uh ta- missed tackles as a whole i think something like 13 or 14 missed tackles in this game that will do it to you uh there was a uh uh, they came out and, and obviously stayed ahead of the chains. I thought the Texans did a great job of uh, mixing in that uh, their screen game early to kind of slow th- uh, uh, to, to build on top of their run game success uh, within that. Uh, that was obviously evident early on. And I just thought just how, you know, the, uh, the uh, Stroud felt like he knew it seemed like he knew where he wanted to go with the football on 75% of the, 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 uh, the, the situations with him. Like he knew what he was going to get. He, he was so well prepared, uh, within that. And the ball came out quickly. I think even his, his, his time to throw was, what was it? 2.7 or something like that. And that might've been exaggerated by a couple of times that he held, he did hold the football there, but, uh, their game plan was on yeah. point uh, overall. They were highly prepared for what they they thought they were going to see, and their offensive line just just out outplayed the Steelers' defensive line, and that should not happen. With the even you know you don't have Cam Hayward on a defensive side of football there, but you do have you know and, and you know Sands, a guy like Benton who really deserved to play more than than what he did there. That 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 shouldn't have happened in that game. There and Mike Tom, another truthful point that he talked about was the piles falling forward and mm-hmm. and all like that. But piles falling forward wasn't the only issue uh, in, in 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 this game. Once again, I, I thought schematically uh, they were ready for what the students were going to do. Even little things like against that palms coverage uh, early in the game uh, over to the right side uh, there where. Uh, most most quarterbacks don't get away with that throw. I, I thought Patrick Peterson played that well, 
it's mm-hmm. just it's just that ball came out so damn quick and uh it made a a uh it was a great throw against a good defensive call. Yeah, I, I saw Stroud's reaction whenever he threw the ball. He's kind of jumping a little bit, going, Ooh, that's gonna be a tight window, but he fit it in there and you know, Peterson couldn't separate it. So, you know, one of those moments where Houston just just made the play. And I, you know, once again, I think missed tackles played a, a big por- portion in this, especially, uh, you know, not, not, I mean, all they got was three, three points out of that, uh, uh, out of that end of, uh, uh first half drive. But I mean, that's, that's three points, right. You know, uh, oh, yeah, that, 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 shouldn't happen in that situation when you have them backed up with, when did that drive start? Like 47 seconds or something like that. Yeah, it was late in the half. I mean, they only need, needed two completions to get in the field right. goal range, and all all the yaks they got from Nico Collins, um, you, you just just unacceptable. They did a good job of isolating uh, against uh, Landon Roberts on a couple of those and taking advantage of that. Just uh, there, there, there are a lot of layers defensively that went into what 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 happened on on that side of football. Sure, not that I ever want to see Pittsburgh struggle or get outmatched but you have to admire the scheme and the game plan that Houston had they knew they were down four of their five linemen they knew Pittsburgh had a fierce pass rush and they knew they they couldn't let the story of the game be TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith so what do you do you, you have your you know perimeter run game to stay on schedule you know Houston averaged only 5.2 yards to go on third down that was the third best mark in the NFL this weekend so they weren't in the and long situations where Pittsburgh could pin their ears back and get after the quarterback they Utilize play action. They utilize the screen game to great effect to slow down the pass rush. They used empty set to force Highsmith and some of the, the pass rushers to walk out and cover and pick on guys like Alain and Roberts. So, I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, as much criticism as Canada and the offense has taken, the Terrell Austin's got to take some heat to here too, because I thought right. Houston was consistently one step ahead the entire game, really. I mean, I thought Pittsburgh did adjust in the second half, the third quarter. They did, I think, do a better job adjusting, but the, the defense was getting just outmatched the entire first half. Right. And then you talk about the you know, touchdown pass, the running back through. They come out and I think it was 22 personnel and Pittsburgh's in their 4D lineman package and able to throw the ball in that one because Pittsburgh doesn't have as many cover guys out there. So um, I thought, you know, I thought maybe you could argue that the Texans beat Pittsburgh more schematically with their offense to Pittsburgh's defense, then Pittsburgh's offense struggled schematically against the Texans defense. Right. I would agree. Yeah. Um, so all, all pretty bad there. Uh, what bright spots we did talk about, mentioned this, I think on Monday, I thought, you know, Highsmith, a couple of nice rushers to ghost rush look good. Najee Harris ran really hard in this game. So, so kudos to him for that. I think the run game was, you know, one of the bright spots in that third quarter. I would agree. Okay. Any other, any other final thoughts here with the all 22 here, Dave offense, defense, special teams. No, no, I think we got most of it out of there, and we're we're already running in about an hour fifteen minutes here. Yeah, just a couple last thoughts here. I thought interesting article that Josh Carney wrote the other day about Mason Cole's reaction after that failed fourth and one. Um, seemed especially angry, taking his helmet off, and you know he's a guy that that that's pretty quiet. But he had said after the game, it all kind of makes sense now that. He said that Pittsburgh, we seem to get scared after a negative run occurs. And I think that's what he's referring to because they had that, that eight-yard loss and fumble before that that fourth down play. And and maybe that's why they threw it on fourth down because they were scared about a negative play. Yeah, you can really kind of see as he's walking away that he's he's not happy with the call there. Almost like, why didn't you freaking just run the football? 
yeah, he's kind of motioning, you know, his hand across. I don't know if that's just out of frustration or if he's trying to say, just we need a yard. Let's just run the ball there. So it's not just the fact that the, the play failed, he didn't convert, but this frustration, I think, amongst the players the, to the coaches of what are we calling here? I tell you, I've gotten to the point now through these four games right now where thinking, man, it, it feels like it will be pretty monumental to, to, to get this team to finish a game over 500. Yes, although if I could bring just a sliver of optimism, I know people may not want to hear that in this moment. They were two and six last year. We're having a lot of the same conversations right. we did a year ago, and they turned it around. And so let's see if they can turn it around. They are two and two. And if I know it's a big if, and it, it may feel like climbing Everest in the moment, but if they beat the Ravens, they're three and two. They lead the AFC North as they go into their bye week. You get a week to get healthy, get some guys back. Maybe Deontay comes back. Maybe Cam's closer to coming back, you know, Friermuth, et cetera. There's still the season is not over. I, I just no, it's it's not that. over. But I mean, just uh, you know, in totality, from what it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like the offense is going to be the reason that they end up with ten wins. Sure, I I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and again, there's so many so much negativity to talk about, and so much things, so many things that are warranted. I just want to at least offer that other perspective for a moment that they are two and two. This, you know, they've been down this road before. They were literally down it last year. Let's see. Let's see if they can turn it on again. While it's only a four-game subset, usually you don't bring in adjusted net yards for passing attempt until at the earliest week six. More, more realistically, week seven. But at this point, on both sides of the football, where they sit in that stat, uh, usually does not work out very well. So you've got three games here, uh, next three games coming up, where you bet. Because, look, that stat does not lie. You get through seven games played, uh, that's usually what you are what you are uh, at, at that point. Uh, they've got three games to 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 improve dramatically. Not not so much. Most of the problems with the defense is, has started with the run. If you calm the mm-hmm. run down, I think the rest of it will kind of – uh, uh, come into come into focus and look. They're under seven when it you know if we're sitting here talking about a number of eight or nine or something like that uh, on a defensive side of football, it's a lot more worse. So I think it's it, I think the number's high where it is because they're not uh, keeping opposing offenses uh, uh, behind the chains, and that obviously starts with the run. So uh, clean up the run, and maybe that will come into focus better on the defensive side of football. And look, you you know you're not going to get after you're not going to get home to the quarterback more. Uh, 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 nearly enough when he's able to get in those circumstances like Stroud was in where he's getting the ball out that quick. You're just not, you know? Sure. And, and the instances that that you do able to get after him, you damn sure better take him down. And unfortunately, the, the closest they came was really one of those Highsmith ghost, ghost, ghost move uh, rushes there in that game uh, overall there. So, uh, it, you know, it might sound funny here. I mean, am I concerned about defense at this point? Yes. Against the run specifically? Yes. Uh, I think that can come in, can, can, can over these next three games can come into line if they can stop the run. Offensively, though, I mean, you got to get this number to six to even to, 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 I think, have a chance. And there's, there's no, there's nothing that allows me to think that. Yeah, I think the offense has so many more layers to the problem than the defense. But but to the defense, yeah, you got to stop the run. But they have not they have not stopped the run except for the, the one game against the Raiders. The other three games they've gotten just killed in the run game. All right, uh, where where were we transitioning here? 
I'm not sure. It's a good question. Um, uh, I, I was trying to bring a little bit of hope about where this team is oh, at being two and two and, and, and it's still not being done yet. And as I put on Twitter last night, it would be so on brand on brand for mm. this team. Look, what's what's the record with Tomlin now? Unfortunately, we're having to recite this record <laughs> way too, too way too quick. Uh, eleven like, and two. Yeah, eleven and two after blowout losses of of, of twenty points or more. Uh, there, unfortunately, that's the second time this season we've had to. Uh, now, now quote that stat there. And look, it is Ravens Steelers. Uh, uh, it would be so on brand on brand for a Mike Tomlin team to ugly out a 16 to 14 win against the Ravens in Pittsburgh, going to buy, going to buy week three and two leading the AFC North and us being even more mad at the <laughs> offense than we are four four games into the season right now the true Steelers experience happens every year it feels like yeah I mean I think I, I have not given a prediction much thought but I, there's a decent chance Pittsburgh wins this game this weekend just because as you said it's a Steelers thing that happened it's Steelers Ravens kind of throw the records out Pittsburgh has had success against Lamar you know I'm not sure who I'm picking in this one but that that is certainly I think a plausible thing that occurs, and it would be very much, as you said, on brand for this this franchise. Now, if there was anybody other than the Ravens here, I'd probably have <laughs> a diff- different. But we have we have seen this far too many times uh, uh, o- over the years, and it would. I'm not I'm not ready to go there. You know, we'll we'll find out where I get to on Friday with my prediction, all like that. But it would be so very much on brand to have the defense make a couple plays in this game because look, Lamar hasn't been great against the Steelers in his three mm-hmm. starts, right? You know, they, right. they, they've done good uh, as a whole and in, 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 in limiting him on, on the hoof and, and things like that. And, you know, uh, uh, what, what even is the status of uh, uh, o- Odell in this game? Look, Mark, uh, 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 they're, they're tied in. Obviously, you need to control him in this game. Mark, uh, Andrews, yeah. Mark, Mark Andrews and, you know, Mike Tomlin went out of his way to, to, uh, to praise Flowers. He's been fantastic uh, so far. But, you know, uh, do you think of this Ravens offense as juggernaut right now? I think they, I was watching their offense last night. They've had a lot of self-inflicted errors. I think in the Colts and the Browns game, they fumbled, I don't know, four or five times in that one. I, we had that conversation a while back about how they lost to the Colts. They fumbled like three times in the first half. That's how they lost to the Colts in that game. Otherwise, I think they, they probably blow them out. But, I mean, Pittsburgh has had success against Baltimore and against Lamar specifically over the last you know five years. All right. Anyway, we got enough time to preview that jump more into the tape. I've just barely cracked it open on there. But um, yeah, to to the the point, just to go back to that one more time, that the season is not over. And I I obviously have been very negative this this episode, but I just want to bring up a a little bit of silver lining here um, because they are two and two. They beat the Ravens or three and two. Got to buy, you know, the, the sky's not falling in Pittsburgh. They just play well when they're the underdog, when people count them out. You know, whenever they're kind of the trendy team, the favorite, they don't do as well week one. Yeah, they were dogs to the Niners, but you got a lot. I mean, a lot of people picked Pittsburgh to beat the Niners in week one, and they were kind of the trendy team in the AFC to enter the year. They get blown out. You know, they're kind of the underdog against Cleveland. They beat them. They go into Houston. Okay, if you like to win this game, they lose that game. They're going to be the dogs this week, kind of counted out. Pittsburgh, for whatever reason, they just do well when they can really truly have that chip on their shoulder. And look, we 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 talk about it every year at the start of the season doing a prediction. How they play within division really is going to matter a lot, especially the way this team is built right now. And if you somehow, no matter how you do it, end up coming <clears throat> out of Sunday against the Ravens with a W, 
you're you're two and zero, yeah, uh, in, in in the division. And you know, my theory is for them to a be able to com- to compete compete for the division title in 2023, whatever that looks like, however many wins it is, you better go four and two in the division or better this year. So if you somehow manage to come out of this game with a W, it 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 it, you know, I think you can. No, you, you focus on what you can do in the division at that point, even more. You're, half, you're halfway there, the four and two, obviously beat the Ravens. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine a team that hypothetically were to go four and two in the North does not make the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? So right. that would be that might be the, the best path they have right now. I would agree. All right, David, we can probably close out today's show, get to a couple of read emails and wrap things up today. All right, let's see uh, what's uh, what's in the email machine here. Paul Brown writes in, I'm sure you guys are going to cover all about the Tomlin uh, Tuesday and subsequent roster moves. One fix that really resonated with me during the conference was uh, the implementation of padded practices. I was under the impression that the Steelers have some of the toughest practices from previous players. What changed? I was even reading an article where Broderick Jones was saying that Georgia practices are harder than the Steelers. I also have uh, my doubts that uh, by simply adding practices, uh, uh, padded practices, this team is going to play better on offense. The defense may benefit from this, but again, I have my doubts. What real changes outside of firing anybody would you think would be realistic changes to the team that could have real impact on the team? We've already kind of covered in, you know, kind of things that they could potentially do, right? You'll play Benton more, uh, maybe get Joey Porter Jr. on, on the field. We'll see what happens with this Desmond King thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, an or situation with him on the depth chart. Uh, offensively, I mean, you 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 by choice you have uh, Broder uh, Jones in there. You have uh, Darnell Washington in there. I mean, is there any like monumental moves that they could make that that's good that's going to make this team better? And then look, as far as the practices go, you know, the CBA dictates how many padded practices you can have. Uh, uh, throughout a season and all like that. And then Tomlin pointed to the short, short weeks and all like that. It's probably, probably a legitimate reason why he probably didn't implement, you know, the, uh, uh, the padded practices the last couple of weeks there. And, and what do you make of, you know, are these practices even in not, not in pads tough enough? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to have a tough practice when you're in, you know, just, just uh, shoulder pads or helmets, whatever it is. So, you know, yeah, to the point you only get, it's a pretty small number of padded practices you get. I forget what it is, like six or eight during the course of a season. So you got to use those kind of, kind of smartly that the, the physical practice is more referring to training camp or Pittsburgh is, you know, full tackle, go to the ground. Most teams are thud tackle, stay on your feet. And so that that's where that comes from more so camp than, than it does in season. Yeah. Could Desmond King play some slot? You know, some, they want some physical people. They weren't physical enough against Houston. Mike Tomlin says, and King is a pretty physical nickel corner against uh you know, facing a, a run heavy team in Baltimore. So maybe that's something that we see. Uh, I think it says uh, padded during the regular season, padded practices shall be limited to a total of 14. Okay. Uh, 11 of which must be held during the first 11 weeks of the regular season and three of which must be held during the remaining six weeks of the regular season. If I'm reading that right. Okay. That sounds right. So, so yeah, I mean, you have to use those you know, pretty wisely. I imagine they're only going to be in pads for just Wednesday. I don't, will they be yeah. in pads on Thursday? Uh, probably not. So, you know, I don't know how much one pad of practice makes, but I guess it's worth, worth a shot. 
Uh, Nick Shuley, first, uh, Dave wanted to thank Yens for recommending uh, Noreen's in Las Vegas, despite the Steelers not showing up on Sunday. I enjoyed watching the game there. Super great dive bar, he says. Uh, Tuesday, I listened to Tom on Tuesday for the first time. I wish I hadn't. Uh, how on earth can he negate accountability to injuries? Uh, yeah, he's talking about the fourth. We already hit on that. Goodness gracious, just admit you made a bad call. Uh, his whole hell, yeah, we're going to make changes comment was merely lip service. The players and fans deserve better, he says. This team hasn't won a playoff game since 2016. His style is getting stale, and I feel he's too much of a player's coach. If they don't reach the playoffs and win a game this season, I think his time as the Steelers head coach should be over with. The team lacks an identity. That starts with uh, the head coach. Tomlin isn't the guy who's going to find it. He says it doesn't have to be ugly. Look at what Andy Reid and the Eagles have done since they broke up. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there, obviously. You know, I'm not going to focus too much on Tomlin's future, that kind of stuff, until after the season and just see where things shake out because we don't know what's going to happen. We talked about the turnaround they had last week. I mean, I mentioned the frustration, uh, my own personal loathing of the never-had-a-losing-season stat that kind of drives me up a wall. I've said that for a long, long time and recognize his team has not won a playoff game in, in far too long. So those things are true, but... I'm not going to make any of those big uh, declarations. Did you have any thoughts on what Pat McAfee, you know, he bring up the comment about, you know, is, is Tomlin kind of done in Pittsburgh? That was, um, I don't want to say it was surprising for him to say, but obviously not something that you hear about uh, on a national landscape too often. It's easy to get ratings with. I'll tell you that. Yeah. We, we certainly ran with it. You know, uh, it, it, what I, I, I I understand why the discussion's there, especially coming off of that press conference that we gave off of, 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 of Tuesday there. Uh, come come talk to me after the season. You know? Uh, mm-hmm. Look, uh, could my biggest takeaway right now is could 2024 end up being I'm playing for my future or I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm coaching for my future in, in 2024? I don't think that's unthinkable from where we sit right now. Yeah. I don't know. It still feels it's a, it's weird to talk about because we hadn't talked about it that much. So maybe that's where I'm, I'm coming from. I'm, I'm not. Look, really they got, they got to get into playoffs here soon though. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hey, you know, if you don't this year, and even if you do get into playoffs this year and you win and it's on the heels of another nine and eight season, I mean, you know, that, 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 that's not enough. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's not enough. No, well, yeah, this team has to end its droughts of, you know, just lack of playoff success. And I know winning's hard and the playoffs are hard and I'm not expecting Super Bowl or bust every year, but there's got to be more than I think. And maybe my frust- I, I my frustration this week, and I haven't been more frustrated than I, I typically am, even after the 49ers game, which was an equally poor loss, but. I feel like the standard has fallen in Pittsburgh and it's not necessarily where it's coming from Mike Tomlin, but I just feel like it went from Super Bowl contenders. That's always our goal to never had a losing season to, yeah, you get blown out and you know, what are you going to do? It just, it just feels like, Oh, just such a, a fall. And, and maybe this is, are, are we in, and I'm sure we can have these conversations more in the off season, but are we in the 1980s again? Are we in like 1984, you know, post still curtain post Bradshaw and it's going to, suck for a while. I imagine if there were podcasts and Twitter and message boards back in 1985 and 1987, probably same conversations happening. So is that frustration coming from 
younger people like myself that never really experienced the 1980s and were kind of living it in the 2020s. You know, and look, this is a quarterback driven world and you got to have a franchise quarterback to win it all. But do you necessarily have to have a franchise quarterback to get into the playoffs and win one playoff game? No, you don't need that. Right. So uh, here's the thing. I mean, you this team has got this. Here's what's run through my mind several times. Go. You sent me down a damn rabbit hole again. uh, (laughs) I got it one more time. is building through the draft and sprinkling in guys that you like that aren't overly expensive in free agency enough. Now, is it so is it so dependent on hitting properly in the draft? The way this team puts together teams year in and year out. Are you asking about that for Pittsburgh or just NFL? I'm talking about, well, I mean, I'm I'm talking about, I haven't sat down and broken it Mm -hmm. down uh, that way. I'm talking about Pittsburgh. It's very predictive to a point of what this house Cameron Sutton doing in Detroit, by the way, Alex, you go send me down another rabbit hole that, that down here, damn it. Uh, you yeah, want to talk? You want to talk about it? Right. You want to talk about a decision that something that we thought that this team would and should resign Cameron Sutton? Uh, anyway, we'll leave that for another. I mean, in fairness, he's not changing the complexion of the season. No, you know? no. But but, but, but it's just taken. it's just one one of is what it's very predictive what this team does during an off season though and has been for a long time, right? They have been more aggressive in free agency the last two years, though. I think we we all recognize okay, that. Okay, but, that but time. Well, all right, but but name name the aggressiveness. I mean, I mean, in terms of the contracts they gave to to James Daniels to say Amalu, was that that much big of a? I mean, it's not like they broke the bank on him. No, I mean, it was a middle of deal, though. I mean, for Pittsburgh, it was a lot of money. And for okay, what did you want them to do in free agency? I think everybody seemed very I, happy with. Their I haven't. Moves. I haven't gone back to 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 drill it down. Obviously, if you go out and get a star left tackle, you're going to to pay a top. And by the way, how's he looking with Kansas City right now? Right, Juwan Taylor, hey, right? Kind of a mess right. over there. I it just it feels. I think my biggest thing is the the players they too much of the players that they like type scenario when it does come to free agency overall. I just think the whole free agent signing process during the offseason needs to be looked at a little bit better uh, too. And look, their drafts haven't, you know, this team is is really dependent, as, as are probably most teams during the draft. Uh, and we'll obviously see how uh, we don't really know what this draft class this year is yet because they they can't get some of these guys on the field enough, and maybe that'll start. Maybe that'll change the uh, complexion of this thing a little bit this this season. Yeah, I mean, I wrestle with it because I think everybody was really happy with their off season process and for agency. I mean, how many you know Omar Khan, con artist, meme, Scott May, and and then to to double back and say, well, did they really do a good job? This is going to be, you know, maybe a a comment right for criticism because we're in the moment. I think this is still, a, in a lot of ways, a talented Steelers team. They're not playing to the talent that they, are, I think, are capable of. And why is that? There's probably a lot of layers to that coaching, players, health, all that kind of stuff. But 
this is a this team should be better than what they are, and it's frustrating to see that they are not. I just my my overall takeaway is 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 the process seems to be a little stale. Yeah, I mean they brought in a new GM and Omar Khan. You know, I guess the question is what, and I know you don't have an exact answer to it because you're you're kind of sitting on it. But what should they be doing differently? Should they give the you know the the monster eighty million dollar contract? You know, do a free agent is that? Is that where you think it should be going? I'm just thinking they need to do, be be a little bit more selective, maybe in the free agent process. I mean, how, how's this? What, what does that how, mean, though? What does how more selective this, mean? Uh, maybe spend more money. Maybe get higher quality players within there, and obviously, it will cost you more money. Yeah, and obviously, and obviously, nothing's a guarantee. But look at the Chargers and J.C. Jackson; they just gave him eighty million dollars, and right. he just got returned to to New England. None of it's guaranteed, obviously. How, how's this Cole Holcomb situation gonna gonna gonna? Is Cole Holcomb gonna play out his three years? I don't know. I mean, I think he gets through two. I don't know if he gets a third. You know, I think it's been he's been okay, but he's just been okay. How's the Patrick Peterson uh, situation looking into your crystal ball gonna play play out past two thousand twenty three? I don't think it's going particularly well. And I said, that's certainly the thing that I, I caution. Uh, I don't know what his status for 2024 is going to be. Uh, how is the Larry Ogan Joby contract going to play out? It comes down now. I think Ogan has played pretty well. I think he has, despite all the, the, the injuries that he's been battling this year. It's still um, not 2021, Larry, or anything close to it. No, I think he's gotten a lot of pressure. He's just probably had some bad luck not being able to convert that into tangible, you know, sacks in production. Mason Cole's do a roster bonus next next year. How's yeah. that going to play out? What's how big's that roster bonus? It's not. It's a million something. I think. Yeah, but obviously he's not a long term answer. You know who who else was another uh, quote unquote b- big signing this off season? I mean, say Amalo. Uh, mm-hmm. But even that is that is that. Is that, I mean, it's more of a meddling contract, right? Yeah, I mean, relative. I mean, it was what, three years, 24 million, I believe. So it wasn't anything huge relative to the. I, I, I guess my main takeaway is, is this thing seems so dependent on draft, you know? I mean, again, I think in past years, you'd be more right. They had a ton of free agents. So we just rattled off all these free agents they just signed. So I, I don't What do you mean exactly when you say it's dependent on draft? Because they're not, they're not building just through the draft right now. Right. Well, that, I guess, comp- uh, I, I'm just, I feel, once again, I'll go back to saying, I think kind of the, 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 the evaluation process probably needs to be looked at in totality, both the draft and free agency. Sure. I mean, that's probably fair when you're a team that's struggled. I think you evaluate everything. So again, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, obviously I think we're all trying to find some answers right now about why this team's struggling. And look, if Kenny Pickett does, doesn't turn the corner here, I mean they're yeah. they're not they're not going to they're not just going to throw him on a trash heap after this year. The so, question is, should they should they start looking at that? And I don't mean to to put the cart before the horse. I want to see how the season plays out. But if you know, two years in, I think you give you know you talked about you know six games after the season, you have a pretty good feel for what you have or what you don't have. We're right. almost at, we're almost at that point right now. Do you feel like he's the guy? I, I tell you where I sit with a quarterback position right now. I would strongly consider a fourth or fifth round guy just to get eyeballs on another guy and examine my quarterback uh, uh, evaluation in the draft process uh, in in 2024. I, right now, I'm even though 
and look, normally those guys forfeit, you know, yeah. six, you know, don't, don't play out. It's rare that you get the Brock Purdy's or the Brady's or, 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 or what have you. But I think I would be open to testing my process in 2024 draft with, because, you know, will they move on from Mitch, even though they, they restructured his contract and all like that is, is Mitch de- destined to be the backup in, in 2000. I mean, we get way off. Off, <laughs> off track here. Yeah, he but, probably is, but you can use third stringer because Rudolph's on the right, wire. Right. Know? I mean, yeah, you can do that. I get your point, and you know, to see how well you evaluate the position, but how well, how soon will you know the answer to that? I mean, yeah, something needs to happen in these next three games to get this bad taste out of my mouth. I got a bad taste sure. in my mouth right now, especially, and maybe it's my own fault for uh, for kind of buying into that preseason the way that I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you. I mean, I don't know. I'm, we're all trying to figure this out. Like I said, I, I don't want to accept the the mediocre play. I just mentioned how the standard has fallen, but I recognize, you know, when Bill Belichick lost Tom Brady, how are the Patriots looking right now? It's been pretty bumpy since since Brady's been gone. They sure. really haven't had much success. So is it is there some aspect where you could argue it almost feels inevitable to have this big transitional period whenever you lose a franchise Hall of Fame quarterback? I just look I don't at, know the answer to that. Yeah, I just look at. I, I think this defense is going to have a little bit of a turnover on it uh, uh, next off season there. And Cam's another year older and TJ is going to be another year older and uh, offensively just got to see more out of the offense here. And I don't want this to turn into something else. We talked about the other day about, you know, is it going to be change, change the OC uh, then? Well, okay, well, he needs two years with this next OC, mm-hmm. and then here we are in 2025. Sure. No, I get that for sure. I mean, I think big picture, one of the things I come back to is, what is the identity of this team? How do they? How are they built to win? What is the plan to do that? And I thought Pittsburgh felt like they were closer to that this year. Obviously, it's not playing out that way, but maybe they weren't as close as I thought that they were, because if you don't know who you are and how you win, you're not going to in the NFL. All right, this is just me rambling about the bad taste that I have in my mouth this whole last 15 minutes here. So sorry we couldn't get to more of your emails. Blame me for it, uh, for, for Dave taking this off uh, off the rails at the end here. Uh, we will be back on Friday, hopefully a Ravens beat writer. We'll get into the uh, Ravens All-22 and, and start getting everybody ready for Sunday. And it looks like this thing's going to be widely carried on CBS uh, over over the weekend here. So a, a good portion of the country, I think, is going to be able to watch this game. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show uh, at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, steedersdepot.com. I feel like I've turned a good show into uh, just an average show. No, I thought it was a good show. Uh, I mean, we're kind of, you know, talking it out here, but I think that's kind of the fun is just uh, hash it out. All right. Uh, donate steedersdepot.com. Hit the donate button up right, navigational bar, and uh, ad free version. Same thing. Find the uh, donate button or find the ad free button. Uh, until Friday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.